this is not only me, honestly. This is this is millions of other refugees, and not only refugees, but immigrants who leave one country and go to a different country. And this is their life too. This is not only my life. And I just I just had the ability to put these into paper, onto paper and, and onto words and describe it on a deep emotional level. You're listening to Seeking Refuge, a podcast sharing the human stories of refugees. Our guest for today is Jovid Danish. He sat down with us to discuss his recently published book, Long Way From Home, a powerful story about his journey from Afghanistan to Europe. Your host for today is me, Anusha Ghosh, and Diana Clark. First off, thank you so much, Jawed, for joining us today. Uh, we're really grateful to ha- be able to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. As I- I'm really, really happy that you guys reached out to me. And, and I'm more than happy to be in your podcast and-, and talk about my life and my book and-, and my journey all the way from Afghanistan to Finland. Yeah, and I'm I'm, I'm really, really excited, honestly. So our first question for you is, what would you like to share about your personal story and background? Wow. Well, honestly, for me, uh, one of the reasons that I wrote the book was to say my story. And and of course, the the details of my story is probably the same as, as, as like thousands and millions of other refugees that like cross borders from Afghanistan, come to Europe, or like from Syria, from Middle East, or even from Mexico to the US. And so it's, it's basically the same. And and part of me, honestly, that, how, how do I say this? Because uh, I was um, a Hazara minority in Afghanistan, and I was not only worried about being um, being being persecuted or killed by Taliban, but also there was a anticipity between Pashtuns and Hazaras that that put my life in danger that I had to leave. I remember that my because I lost my dad when when my mom was pregnant with me, and then I lost my mom when I was seven, and and I had my older brother, my oldest brother, he. Um, I was 12. He he looked at me. He was like, I cannot keep you safe anymore. And I remember he gave me like 50 euros. I mean, 3000 Afghanis, which was at that time, it was the equivalent of 50 euros. And he said, um, this will get a start of your journey. And for for quite a while, I was I was thinking that why would someone like him, because I was his his is almost like his son, his child. He was my oldest brother and he was taking care of me the whole time. And and then he would he would just like tell me leave now. And now I understand that honestly, the only way for him was to keep me safe. To, the only way to keep me safe for him was to let me go. And and of course his 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 hope at that time was 
to to keep me safe. So and probably that's one of the reasons that I started writing the book. And I wanted to to details the the journey that I have left Afghanistan and how I got to Finland. But at the same time, this is not. Um, I, I keep saying this over and over to almost like everyone asks me, anyone asks me that this is my story, but this is the story of millions of others. The details are different, yet the journey is the same. So I, I hope I'm I'm able to I, I was able to answer your question. You you did a wonderful job. Thank you for sharing that with us. And now, could you tell us more about your book and the process you went through to write it and why you wrote it? Oh wow. I I remember like uh when I arrived to Finland uh it was 2017 June 12 and then I was sent to um like in the middle of nowhere like far away from the town far away from the city and I, there was a camp I they sent me there so there was no other Afghans that I could communicate with of course there were like other people from Syria and and from Iraq other kids the same age as me and none of us could get along honestly i could not get along with them because we speak the same lang- different languages we spoke different languages and different cultures different backgrounds so it was really really difficult for me i was in one room i remember like for a week or two and didn't even go out and uh, the workers would come in and knock the door and say leave and i'm like no and i would put like the cupboards and like uh, the shelves and everything like on the door so no one could come in and i locked myself inside so i was like really really depressed and I, at that time i was i was just turning 14 so the only way for me to actually like to keep my 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 mental health up i was it was just to write down so uh that's how i started writing the book and i and i sat there and i started writing the book a lot of people write books when they're in prison you know i started writing the book when i was in that camp so I I did not want to publish it. There was it was not in my mind that this book is going to be published one day. And it was very therapeutic. And I I'm sure you read the book and and if you see it like it's all emotions because it was helping me and I was writing on each page. Each page is written with with tears and crying and and so yeah, it was like really really therapeutic. So of course like my English was not good at that time when I was writing the book. So I would write and then just leave it like that and then write leave it like that. There was one day that I I said to my mother Kathleen her her, her name is in the book and I said that I'm writing this. And and then she said okay. She said okay. Let me take a look at it. So she looked at it. She like hmm this is a disaster but let's let's put into words honestly like let's make it uh like beautifully written so she helped me with the process from very the beginning and then i was like um going to school i had a psychologist at school and i would go to psychologist like almost every day but i would not say a word and she would just tell me then write it down for me so i would write down everything that how i feel and how things are and she would help me back with the english so there were like my mom and and miss clark the psychologist uh she helped me with like a, a chapter or or something like that and by the time when i was in 10th grade 
So this was like eighth grade. I started the school in eighth grade. By the time I was in 10th grade, I I still didn't didn't have the I, I never thought by then that I would publish this book one day. But then I had a personal project because I studied IB International Baccalaureate. And in 10th grade, we have a personal project. I was like, I don't know what to do. I have I I there's nothing in my mind, you know. But then I was like, all right. The process of getting my book published. Literally, that was my personal project. And I still joke about it with my teachers. Um, I, I, was, I, I work at ISH right now, uh, International School of Helsinki. And I was joking with them. I was like, I just got, I just got graduated. I just graduated from school now because my book got published and this was my personal project. And they were laughing at it. So that's how the process of the book happened. But it was mainly for a therapeutic reason. It was a therapy for me. Yeah. Thank you for that. And me and Diana have both had the opportunity to read the book and we we both loved it. And we really wanted to just thank you for uh, publishing and sharing it because it's it's definitely a story that has a lot of impact on a lot of people. So thank you again for publishing it. And then my second question before I'll hand it off to Diana, are there any excerpts from the book that you would like to read and discuss with our listeners? Well, um, there is one part in my book that each time when I when I read it and I I cannot keep myself um, like it's impossible for me to not cry over it. There is uh, this part that I talk about my dream. I think it's about like page. Let me see the book. Uh, yeah, it's page 14. It starts on page 14 that that how my life is so different that I cannot I cannot share my story with my brothers, with my siblings in Afghanistan. And this hurts me the most because I lose my I lost my brothers. And each time now when I when I look at this part and I'm like, wow, there were times that I was actually thinking of like talking to them but now there's no way I don't even there's like I I don't talk to them now because they're they're not alive anymore and so it's really really like um difficult for me this part and this is the part that I talk about how my life is different from their lives and I cannot share my story like for example in one of my classes I taught that we were talking about um what kind of sofas or couches or plants or or things should be like in our classroom and how would i share this with my siblings back in afghanistan that there's right a, a suicide bomb attack happened right outside of their home or how would i share this with my friends and 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 in the same school where i used to go in afghanistan that they fight over a piece of carpet, honestly. So we used to have like a, like, we, we wouldn't have carpets. Sometimes we were under a tree studying in Afghanistan. And so other class, there was one piece of carpet, seven, six classrooms were fighting over one. So we were like pulling around. So how can I share my life in um, living in Finland with my friends and siblings back home in Afghanistan? So that is 
that's the part that really, really hurts me each time when I read it. And I cannot read the last chapter of my book, honestly, because it's I, I cannot dare each time when I go last chapter because I made the conclusion, I finished the book, and then I had to write another chapter at the end. And now when I look at it, I, I reach, sometimes I read the book and I go into a conclusion and then I stop it there and I don't, I don't go forward. I'm like, no, I cannot deal with that, with the last chapter. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, thank you for telling us about that excerpt because yeah, that was definitely a very powerful one. And I'm, I'm very sorry that, you know, you've had to go through that and that that difficulty in communication uh, lays with you. But thank you for sharing. The, the thing is that one, I, I still have to mention this, that this is not only me, honestly. This is, this is millions of other refugees and not only refugees, but immigrants who, who leave one country and go to a different country. And this is their life too. This is not only my life. And I just, I just had the ability to put these into paper, onto paper, and and onto words, and describe it on a deep emotional level. So I just have some specific book questions, kind of diving into the book a little bit on things that I wanted to ask you further, since we got to have you right here, which is amazing. So my first question is that you discussed the differences in Middle Eastern culture across the countries that you lived in and traveled through. And I feel like Americans stereotypically clump Middle Eastern countries together and assume that the culture is all just the same. So yeah. could you elaborate on those cultural differences and whether it was surprising to you at the time? Well, I'm really sorry, but Middle Eastern uh, cultures are not the same. It's the same as you say, like when we live in Afghanistan or in the Middle East, we would say a West because we call Europe um, and in and, and the U and America West. So what if I say, like, for example, uh, Europe and America have the same culture? It's a totally different thing. If What if I say like the whole um, Europe have has the same culture? Like, like, for example, right now I'm in Greece and I live in Finland and the the culture between Greece and Finland is like like I don't know earth and sky different or like I don't know what's the the right way to put it down because I I do have a lot of friends from from the U.S. and I do have a lot of friends from different countries and a lot of times when I say I'm from Afghanistan they say uh, so you speak Arabic and I'm like I'm really sorry not really no I speak Dari Persian. So they're like, oh, but same thing, Arabic and Persian. I'm like, um, is Spanish and Italian the same thing? No, it's not the same thing. So these are the differences between uh, Persian and Arabic. So, but but the difference, um, I, I would say not in the Middle East, but how I encountered differences coming from uh, from Afghanistan to Europe. Of course, Iran has, because I was in Iran for nine months, uh, for actually 11 months almost. Yeah, I was in Iran. Iran has the same language as Afghanistan, yet some differences. Iran is a lot more developed than Afghanistan. Afghanistan is still like a developing country. On the other hand, Iran is like 
Los Angeles, New York. So totally two different worlds, yet the language is the same, Iran and Afghanistan. But then when I was in Turkey, I, I wasn't, honestly, like, I, I didn't even go out that much when I was in Turkey. So I was at home. And when I got there, the smuggler put me in a, in, a, in a home and I was inside the whole time. Barely saw outside. And so I, I cannot even tell what the culture difference at that time was for me. But now when I look at it from a Western perspective, because now I live in Europe for quite a while, I think Turkey, Turkey has a lot in common with Iran. I think Turkey has a lot in common with, with Greece, it's like, it says that Greece and Turkey, these two countries are east or west. People are struggling to find this. Which one is this? And right now, even like Turkey is trying to be part of the uh, European Union, but they're not allowing them. So it's like, which one is it? And And then coming from Turkey to Greece... I remember one of my um, one of my memories that when I was leaving the islands, um, the island of Mit- uh, Mytilene, Lesbos, coming to Athens. So it was my first time seeing actually uh, a real boat, because uh, the Metodrisi, one of the, the NGOs, took me from uh, the island to Athens, and they. They put me in the boat. This is one of those big boats, honestly, like like insanely big. The first time I'm seeing it, and I'm like, wow. I was like, how are they having a, a whole city or like a bazaar in the middle of the sea? And I was I was questioning myself like the whole time. And there, there I was like 13 years old, so quite young. And I'm like, wow, how do they actually, uh, where do they get the electricity from? Like. Like, how does this work? And the other cultural shock for me was seeing, um, well, there I was coming from Afghanistan, you know, all the way to to Greece. It took me uh, one year to get to Greece. And I'm running deserts and mountains, crossing borders. And, and here I am on a boat seeing Western people um, like walking on on like, What's that called? On on like small shirts, you know, and woman and man being hand to hand walking. And I was like, wow, this is possible, actually. So that was something, um, something, something that that stays with me, I think, for the rest of my life. That that was my first impression of the West that, wow, how do they build a, a city on a water and and where do they get the electricity from? Don't get me wrong. How do they use a toilet? <laughs> Yeah, because we don't have this kind of toilets in, in Afghanistan. It's totally different. So, so yeah. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So on page 68, you say, quote, I had survived deserts and mountains, cramped trucks and taxis, bus compartments, hunger and thirst and cold and heat. I had worked in construction. I had dealt with sleazy bosses. I had learned to trade. How many other 13-year-olds have had these experiences? So I might have been still young, but my experiences made me feel old. And this last sentence was particularly powerful to me. 
you had to mature more rapidly than most children your age. So what effect has this had on you, um, on the person you've become today? Honestly, that was an amazing question. You see, I'm, I'm crying right now and my tears are coming right now. So yeah, well, I never really thought about it until uh, when I started working um, at the summer camp. At the summer camp for children, uh, the ages be- ages were like between uh, four to six or seven, something like that. And at that time, I was 15 years old, I think. So then I realized that how much these kids were different than me. And these kids were playing sports, having summer camp, going to different, because I was the instructor with one of the other guy and taking them to different uh, parks, different museums in the summer, different places to forests, And so different things. And yet we were very same. And I, I mentioned this in the book that there were parts that we, someone, they, they would fight over like who's going to be on the first line, who's going to be on the, on the last, last, last part of the line and all these things. So, but also I would say that now when I look at it is how much, how much it affected me. Um, it, it made me to understand life honestly in a very deeper level it made me understand that that honestly um how do i put this into word that yeah i mean in life in a very deeper level it made me understand that life is too short honestly so why would i get life and uh for granted and when i say it made me um it gave me a deeper understanding of the world but at the same time i don't feel it like as a burden but as a gift honestly to understand others and that's why probably like one of the reasons that i i love to help others so that was the kind of effect that it had on me and on the other part like i felt this that how much um my childhood was different compared to others I, I don't know I didn't know how to swim uh, until like a few years ago and I, I participated in a uh, swimming uh, lessons it was like 2000 2017 when I got to Finland and I went there I was 14 years old at this time and I am I'm with the kids ages threes and fours and I'm swimming with them learning how to swim and it was probably the most embarrassing time of, of my life being in Europe. But at the same time, when I look at it now, I'm like, okay, but I was being a kid. I was, I was reliving my childhood. Or like when I came to Greece in 2018, right a year after when I was in Finland. And, and I went to an island in Greece. I didn't know how to swim still. So... I, I got this floaties. What do you call it? So I got these floaties in, in, a, in a mattress, plastic mattress, and I was swimming with that on the, on the river and the sea. So I don't look at it in a way now that, oh my God, it was such an embarrassing moment, but I look at it in a way that 
okay, I was I was living my childhood, you know, because I didn't have these kind of experiences, and now I have them. So, so yeah. Thank you for that vulnerability and wisdom as well. I feel like those words are very, very meaningful. So appreciate it. Thank you. That was like honestly great question. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> So sports seem to be a unifying and universal experience for you wherever you were across the world. And what role do sports play in your life today? Oh, wow. Another great question, honestly. I would say that it's not only for me. I think sport is a way of socializing almost for everyone. And and of course, like when I when I got to Finland or when I was in in Greece, my time in Greece, uh, we played a lot of football games. And I'm very competitive, by the way, and I love to win. I, I, I hate losing. I hate losing. But on the other hand, I would say I have played football, but I've never watched football games. And the, the funny story is that a lot of time when I was around my friends, even when I was in Afghanistan, because in Afghanistan, we also like fought over like Team Messi, Team Ronaldo, you know? So like two groups get together and then like arguing the whole time. And I have no idea what they're talking about. Okay. So I'm just like, yeah. And then when there's Team Messi alone, I'm Messi. I'm supporting Messi. And then when there's Team Ronaldo and I'm supporting Ronaldo. And and the same thing, honestly, when I was in and uh, when I got to Europe, it was the same thing for me. I was like, okay, I love Neymar. Neymar is my my best player, you know. <laughs> yes, let's go Brazil, let's go Portugal, let's go. <laughs> so um, I would I would like when there was like um, I I had I have Brazilian friends and I would I would go watch play football lately with them like actually this last competitions that were, were world cup and my Brazilian my, my Brazilian friends took me to uh, to a place to watch football I'm like yes let's go anymore I love anymore and yeah so football has been always um, a socializing uh, factor and unifying for me and and right now I I play badminton as a hobby and in my university i usually gather friends and and play badminton with them uh, in the mornings and and after schools to to just stay active and i also play chess chess probably has been uh, right now i'm i'm fascinated about and like when i whenever i have my phone in my hand and i don't do anything else i'm playing chess with friends online or I, I always carry a chess uh, board with me, no matter where I go. And, and honestly, it was Christmas that I was, I, was, I was in Athens again. I came to Greece and I found a guy in the airport and we were talking. He was a Finnish guy coming to Athens. And I was like, so what do you do? He was like, I play chess. I was like, I play chess too as a hobby. And... We got to the metro from the airport to the center. It's like around like 45 to one hour uh, ride. And we played chess. It's a very crowded metro, very crowded. And I opened the chess board and put it on, the t- on, on top of the suitcase. And we played chess from there to Athens. 
So that's that's called love of chess. Like if everyone is pushing around, we're playing chess and we're losing the pieces and yeah, we're playing it. And right now I also work at the International School of Helsinki and one of the days I I run a chess club. So for the kids ages uh, nine to 12. And I have like around 20 kids in that club. So I love chess. I don't know if chess is counted as a sport. Is it a sport? I don't know. But either way, thank you so much for bringing up chess as well. Because any <laughs> yeah, like, any sort of competition really is, is yeah. beneficial. Well, I, so. I got to tell you a story that actually uh, two of my my students just two weeks ago played against me and they won. Yeah. And they won. I was like, wow, that was such a nice game. I was like trying to just kind of like Pretend that okay, you didn't win. I let you win. <laughs> but but were they, were they so excited? They were. They were yeah. very excited. They were like, "We teach the te- We beat the teacher. We beat the teacher." Yeah, and they were like, "Honestly, wow." Yeah, it was like amazing, amazing. Like how how they were excited about it. So I I actually play chess as well. Do you play on any online platforms like Lee Chess or Chess.com? I actually do play on chess.com. <laughs> I would love to, like, after this, I would love to connect with you and play a game. I'm I would cu- love that. <laughs> I'm curious, what is your favorite opening? Uh, well, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> He's smart, Anusha. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> well, if I tell you that, so you already know my technique, you know? <laughs> Yes, I, I do the same opening every time, but I guess I won't tell you either. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to ask about it. <laughs> yeah, so chess, chess is amazing. Let's play after this, honestly. So our next question for you is on page 129, uh, you <laughs> reference a quote by Kali Gibran that describes your relationship with your identity. Quote, out of suffering have emerged the strongest souls, the most massive characters are seared with scars, end quote. Are there any other quotes, stories, or words of wisdom that motivate you to keep going? Again, very interesting question, by the way, and brilliant. Um, I remember the day when I arrived to Helsinki, uh, one of my friends came. She was a Finnish journalist who met me in Athens. And she came, she handed me a a chocolate, a bar of chocolate. And she told me, I remember this, you're not alone on this journey. And probably that made me the happiest because after all these, uh, after all this long journey, there you have a Finnish person whom you just met only once in Athens, became your friend and showed up in the airport and tell you you're not alone in this journey. And probably made me the, the happiest and the most privileged person on earth. So there are, sometimes there is only one word or one sentence that that can that can basically change your life. And there is... Um, of course, uh, there is one other poem that 
I, I would have loved to have this in my book, but I could not have it for some reason. It's from Warsonshire, a Somalian uh, poet. And when I give my TED talk, actually, I chose uh, uh, her uh, first things in my in my TED talk as, as a line of the basically the opening of my TED talk. And the name of my TED talk was The Mouth of a Shark, which is part of her poem that reads, no one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. You only run for the border when you see the whole city running as well. And that stayed with me. And that was like, yes, that's so true. Home is home is a place that a lot of time, I mean, right now I made a home for myself in and, and Finland and I, this is a home for me. What I say a lot of time that home is a place where you feel comfortable. Home is a place where, where you know that when you leave people, people miss you. That's home for you. And now when I leave Finland, Helsinki, I have friends that they will miss me. And, and I have a community there around me. So, so that's something that actually, th- that really, really stayed with me. And of course, people that helped me, I, I, I think, I, I think of Peter Welch a lot. And he was the person who actually opened the doors of the school for me. And, and there was another lady, um, human rights activist called Sunniva Drake. Uh, when I was in Abnort, she helped me to get to the center, to Helsinki. And then I have other friends that are like um, human rights activists. And they have helped me a lot, honestly. So yeah, back to the poem about Warson Shire. I have a, a good story about that too, actually. I remember that I was going to give the TED Talk, but I did not want to reveal my story that I was a refugee and I came from Afghanistan as a refugee crossing deserts and mountains and borders and, and seas and rivers and, and being on taxis and, and trunk of taxis and trucks, pickup trucks and luggage compartments of buses. So I did not, I, I never shared this story with my classmates. And here I am at the end of the school year and everyone was thinking of me uh, as a rich Afghan diplomat, like many other student classmates I had, there were many diplomats. And then I had the title of my uh, TED talk, The Mouth of a Shark. Here is a friend of mine came to me. Hey, Joey. Hey, Joey. So what's your TED talk about? I was like, mm, it's a surprise. And he's like, so are you, is it something related to biology? You're not a scientist. You're not a science person. I'm like, yeah, it's the mouth of a shark, big teeth, right? So that was like, like when I now look at it and, and think about it, I'm like, oh my God, how did it come up with like, yeah, big teeth, big shark, you know? <laughs> So when I when I think about it, that how difficult that was for me to not share my story for one year from with with your classmates, and they would have birthday parties, they would have other parties that they would invite me because the camp where I was living, I had a curfew that I had to be home at a certain uh, time, and the shelter I'm talking about, and. So I could not go to their parties. I could not participate to anything. 
And then they would ask me, so where do you live? I would say, I live alone. They were like, so we can come over? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm really sorry. So I could not bring anyone to my place either. I don't know, honestly, what else to say to your question, because these questions are really, really amazing. And, I, and I'm like, wow. Thank you so much for that answer. So my last question was, you've mentioned both of these people, Mr. Welch and Kathleen. We would like to just give you the floor to just brag about them and say what wonderful people they are, because they've had such an amazing impact on your life. So you say whatever you'd like about them. Well, I, I would say this, that I I mentioned this a lot of times and many times in my book that I, I'm, I'm the luckiest of the luckiest, honestly. And I mainly in my life, in my journey for and two years of journey and, and now like living in Finland, I, I have always encountered amazing people in my life. And and I'm I'm grateful honestly for that. And and one of those people was um my mom, Kathleen McDonald, that her name is also in the book. And she she has been amazing, not only because she gave me the feeling that um I am not without a mother. But at the same time, she gave me the uh, a European education. I, I remember uh, she was my English teacher, and that's how our connection got close. And I, I arrived to Athens, and the social worker came and interviewed me. At that time, I was 13 years old, and the social worker came and interviewed me. So, Jawed, what what do you want? And I was like... I want to learn English. At that time, I could not speak English. And of course, there was a translator. And I was like, I want to learn English. So the social worker goes to Kathleen, my mom, and says, we have a new boy. Okay, I heard this from my mom, not from me, okay? I do not want to brag about myself. (laughs) (laughs) And the social worker tells her that we have a new boy. And he... Um, is amazing and and he he loves to study and and he loves education which i do i i love it i love education and so the social worker asked her if if she could teach me english like for an extra hour but here is what kathleen my mom did she didn't only teach me for one extra hour but she taught me for like five extra hours every day Imagine like giving five hours of her life to a boy that she literally doesn't even know. And then she would ask me, let's go to cafe. So we would go to nearby cafes and she would read books for me. Um, Harry Potter, by the way, my first book I've ever read. First Harry Potter. We never finished it. So, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then she would, we would go to uh, these cafes and she would order food or tea or coffee or anything, but she wouldn't do it. She would force me. She would say, okay, now go get tea for me. And I'm like, uh, so I'm shy. And I'm like, like, here I am a guy, like crossing deserts and mountains, never seen human beings, honestly, in my journey. And any place I am, I'm on a trunk of taxis and being treated like shit by these smugglers. And if I if I raised my hand, I would be bitten, like honestly, insanely. 
And here she is asking me, go order. It is very like simple for any other European or American kids, but for someone who barely knows uh, the language and, and is scared of everything, how, how would that even be possible for me to go, for, go for order food or like tea? So I was like, no, I cannot do it. And she was like, you have to, you have no other choice. So she would force me to do that. There were times that she would uh, take me to different like uh, places, like cultural places, like, I don't know, dance, dance places or like art exhibitions. And I would say, I'm not going. She's like, you have no other choice. You have to go. And she would force me to take me to museums and the like other historical sites. I had no idea about these things, which she would take me. She was like, you have to learn these things. So when I talk really highly of Kathleen McDonald, she, she has been everything to me for the past six years that I've been to Europe. And she has been a mother. She has been a mentor. She has been a everything. And when I feel down, who do I call? Kathleen McDonough. When I feel happy, when I when something happens, who do I call? Kathleen McDonough. Hey mom, this happened to me. Hey mom. Like like any other kids, honestly. And of course I'm not a kid anymore. I'm 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 20 now. But still, on the other hand, Mr. Welch, um, when I was in um in the middle of nowhere in, in Finland and it was really difficult for me to get into a school because I wanted to get out of that place. They wouldn't allow me to get out of that that place. And that shelter, once once you're sent in one shelter, then you cannot leave that place until you turn um you become an adult and then you make a decision for yourself. So I would be treated as a minor and I would be there under the staff members hands. So, but I could not leave that place. And my mom knew that how, how difficult it was for me. So she started trying to find a school for me and in, in Helsinki area. But, but of course, there I was not knowing English, honestly. It had been only like a few months that I, 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 I started studying English. So, and my mom says this, that she had, she was hoping that one person reads her letter with their, with his or her heart. And there was Mr. There was Mr. Welch. She read it and she responded, yes, we would love to have an interview with Jawed. And when I when I got to school and when I had the interview, I'm, I'm sure she had he had never had he never had that kind of interview like that. The story that I shared with him. And I, I was really honest. I, I spoke very, very like broken English. And and I told him that I have no document and I have no proof that I've studied until seventh grade. And and I cannot provide that for you. But I can tell you this. When I graduate from this school, I will be the guy who will give the graduation speech. And I say that, and I give this the graduation speech, by the way. And, and I did say that. 
all my life in Afghanistan, I, I, like, I, I was a serious student, and but I, I used to run cows and 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 ships under the on the mountain, and I, I shared my story with him, and he he took me around the school, gave me a tour, and at the end he said one sentence that I will never forget. Um, he told me, "Our doors are open for you." And that was the moment I was like, wow. So when I came to school, I started my studies. And and of course, I, I didn't even know what a private school meant, to be honest. He he made the, my, my transition really, really easy. And I had weekly meetings with him personally. And, and he was my mentor. And when I was preparing for my TED talk, uh, so I gave my TED talk. It was at I at the International School of Helsinki, and um, he he helped me with that. And when I when I got to school, he already assigned two other kids to act like ambassador, or or I don't know student body, or I don't know how you call it. And and those other kids. Uh, would always be there for me because I didn't know anything. I didn't even know how to turn on a laptop. Don't get me wrong. And and there was all my studies were like on laptop. So there was two other kids. They were helping me the whole time. And Mr. Welch asked them to take care of my my staff. And and even when he left the school, he introduced me to the new head of the school. And the same thing asked the new head to to have a weekly meeting with me. And and of course, like he was probably doing that to make me feel comfortable, but at the same time uh, to educate me to to understand my, my 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 needs and wants at school and and how to help me the best way possible. So and and when I was writing my book, when I finished the book, he actually edited the book. He's one of the editors, and he he was not happy with the parts where I was praising him. He was like. It's really kind of you, but I don't feel comfortable. I'm like, no, keep it there. Yeah, he, he has been amazing. And and two people that shaped my life, Mr. Welch and Kathleen McDonald. Your answers have been amazing. And our second question kind of relates to um, what you said of Mr. Welch. So we're curious, in college, um, what did you choose to study? <laughs> And what professional career do you aspire for in the future? Wow. Well, I'm studying European business administration right now. But what I I, I really like is history, honestly. And and what I what I really want to to do as a, as a as a career or professional life, something related to uh, human rights and something that that could bring all of us together. So if I could if I could do that, I would be the happiest. But at the same time, I am I'm studying European business administration and this is my first year. And I am like many other other people around the world probably struggling that and thinking that is it really the thing I want to study? And I'm questioning myself all the time. Is this is this helping me for my uh, future or not? And and I don't know honestly. I don't know the answer for that. 
I I I have friends um who are like in the 60s and 70s and one of them asked me one of them told me the other day he was like I don't know what to do with my life and I looked at him I was like what do you mean you don't know what to do with your life you're like 65 years old I'm not trying to disrespect but like you have done a lot in your life and he was like well but still I'm 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 in my 60s and I I don't know I retired now I don't know what to do so I think this is this is a good question that we're in constant constantly thinking that what we want to do with our life and what kind of career we pursue but anything that could be related to um, human rights, something that I could help others, even even the the, the tiniest of um, helping that I could provide, help that I could provide, I would be happy. And 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 right now I'm 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 running uh, activities for for little kids, and and I feel like I'm I'm helping. And and on the other hand, I'm also uh, participating on events and in, in cultural events, and having a lot of demonstrations. Actually, going to different demonstrations, giving some speeches. I don't know how it is in the U.S., but in Finland, it is really easy to organize a demonstration and the, for the things that you believe you stand for. And of course, I stand for more inclusive world diversity and equal rights for all and a sustainable future for all so that's what i stand for and and if anything that i could do to to help in these things very little i would be the happiest thank you so much for that and yes anything that we can do to help you in that professional career it sounds like an amazing an amazing career to aspire for and I hope that your college experience has been um, well me and Diana are just about finishing sophomore year so yeah how is that going by the way it's it's really difficult Um, we're both pre-med actually so yeah (laughs) we're excited for the end but the process to doing it has definitely been a difficulty but yes again um i i wish you the best of luck as you finish up your first year and then for the next few years of your professional education i mean honestly right now i th- think it's more of like the the social life i have with my friends with my peers is is a lot more fun than than what i'm actually studying and about this study is I'm like, do should I change it or should I should I should I keep studying this? But about the social life, I'm I'm having an amazing social life with my classmates. And I don't know how it is in the US, but in Finland it's crazy, honestly, how how crazy it gets. And people drink to get drunk, by the way. Yeah, it's it's crazy here. Yeah, I mean how how you can help me and, and support me. And how all the listeners, your listeners can support me is that just simply help others. And by helping others, you're supporting me. Life is too short, honestly. And I say this like like I'm a hundred years old person, but that is because I have I have seen for I have I have I have faced thirst, hunger, and death even. And I've I've dealt with with smugglers, 
and I've I've learned that each part each part of my journey was dying. Honestly, I I feel dead all the time when I was in my journey. So, I think work for peace, help others. Yeah, and I would love to stay with you and with your listeners, stay in touch with you and with your listeners. So, add my social media, and I would love to stay in touch with you. And also, I want to say that we are young, and and the future is ours. So, let's work together to to make the world a better place, and a place that not other twelve years olds face the same things as I did. So that's probably the way that you can help me. Thank you so much for that. That was actually one of my other questions, like, you know, how can we and our listeners support you? And we'll definitely be sure to share your book uh, in the link of the episode as as well as the TED Talk once you are able to send the link. Uh, So we're like nearing the end me and Diana were wondering, uh, what refugee initiatives have you taken part in and what are you involved in today? Yeah, we can um, try and support those initiatives specifically. Well, right now, what's happening in Afghanistan? And Afghanistan is one of the only countries in the world that uh, women do not have the right for education. And as of two years ago, a year ago, actually, a year and a half, that Afghanistan has fallen under the Taliban rule. And, and they banned the schools and for, for women. And I have two sisters in Afghanistan, and one of them has children who are like teenagers and they cannot go to school. So I think, I mean, right now, we all, all we can do is to spread the word and of course, the whole world knows it, but like put pressure on the lawmakers and and to not recognize this government, this Taliban, as, as a government, honestly. And they, they are saying that they have they have changed, they have become a better people, but what they are doing, not letting women to go to have education, not the rights to actually go outside without a male guardian so right now i'm i'm focusing on that and and trying to to find people who have the same ideas as i do and i don't know what i can do to be honest i i don't know what i can do all i can do is to to support the women in afghanistan to support uh send uh what's that called like helps to them and books to them but other than that i don't think what else i can do so yeah and and it's it's heartbroken honestly i was just talking with one of my nephews yesterday and she was she was telling me that uncle i'm i'm really depressed i'm like uh what's going on she's like well i i I only had a school now i cannot go to school either and i i just i just could not say anything i'm like yeah, I understand. That's all I could say, honestly. So yeah, I mean, uh, raising awareness and 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 if you even even if you can find organizations that are helping Afghanistan women, especially, and sending books to them or or some kind of 
I, I don't know, there are some online educations that are taking place for women in Afghanistan and and supporting them. I think those are the things that you can do to help me and, and help other people in Afghanistan, especially women. And, and I would deeply appreciate that, honestly. Thank you so much for that. And we'll definitely be sure to try and find uh, links to some organizations that do exactly what you just mentioned and put them in the episode bio as well as highlight them. Thank yeah. you for allowing us to learn more about like your initiatives and what we can do as podcasts and as listeners. I think that was all the questions we had for you. But if you have anything else to add that you would like the listeners to hear, please feel free to use this space. Well, I would love to say I love sushi. <laughs> I love sushi honestly and sushi is my my favorite food that I I I eat and if I don't eat once a day I I mean once a day I'm saying once a week I feel like I'm missing something <laughs> I, I just had to add that honestly <laughs> no that's perfect that's perfect and and then at the end honestly I I would love my book to be because my aim is right now, a lot of schools and 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 places they they use books for for education about um, refugees' life and and a refugees' journey, but I think my book is well, it's coming from me because it's my book because I have written it and I say it's an amazing book because I wrote it. But I think if if like schools could get it into their uh, curriculum and taught into different schools and that would be a huge help honestly so it can get my word out and and help for for afghans and for for immigrants and 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 refugees all over the world not only from the middle east but refugees from all over the world we all take almost the same journey no matter where we come from honestly you can get you can uh, edit the part when I say I love sushi. By the way, so <laughs> no, no, that's we'll keep that in there if you're good with that. Like one of our questions, we were thinking about asking what your favorite food was, so you got that one covered. <laughs> I, I have a really good story with that actually too. <laughs> the first time when I when I ate sushi was, uh, I think it was like 2018 or 2019. I can't remember the exact date. And I, I got invited to a friend's house and I, I went there and he was like, he was American. He he loved like cooking and he was like, oh my God, I'm going to make the best sushi ever. So I'm so excited what sushi is the first time, you know, before I went to his place, I was Googling. I was like, okay, this is sushi. <laughs> I didn't know sushi before that. And so he made sushi and then he brought the wasabi, right? And I thought this wasabi was some kind of sauce that you have to like <laughs> dip it you know <laughs> and i and i like it was like half wasabi and like half of it was sushi half of it was wasabi and i put it into my mouth and then there i am oh my god my head was buzzing and my nose was getting like <laughs> and I, I i i just put my head down like this and and put my my hand on my eyes and and just like my tears are coming so my you know like the feeling like your head is like literally buzzing 
And and I'm like, oh no, what was this? <laughs> so that was my my favorite story about like sushi first time eating, not knowing what wasabi was. That's a, that's a really funny story. I've definitely done the same. I, it definitely does look like a sauce. It looks very innocent, but it really is not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much for the interview. And thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for the great questions because I, I struggled in answering some of them. Yeah, thank yeah. you. you. You did an amazing job. And thank you so much yeah. for for being on our podcast. That was Jawid Danish talking about his book, Long Way From Home, and his story of difficulty and resilience, as well as his passions for sports and chess. If you want to read Jawid's powerful book, navigate to the link in our bio. If you like this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review us in the comments below. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email us at seekingrefugepodcast at gmail.com or at our University of South Carolina email address, sosrpa at mailbox.sc.edu. You can find us on social media at Refuge Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This show is produced by undergraduate students at the University of South Carolina. Your host for this week was me, Anusha Ghosh, and Diana Clark. This episode was edited by Victoria Halsey and reviewed by Yethan Narella. Our executive producers are Claire Matz and Victoria Halsey. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next one.